I told him before he died, and I didn't know he was going to die, that you are the only dad I've ever had. You're my dad. And I loved him. And I really am glad I said that because he died of a sudden heart attack about a month later. Mm. So I was really, really fortunate that I was able to say that to him. Yeah. And it did make me rethink, you know, the importance of letting people know how much you care about them because you never know when will be your last chance. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Elisa. She spoke with me from Lincoln, Nebraska. Elisa described her life as the child of refugees from the brutality and destruction of World War II. They raised Elisa in the ways of their heritage, and while she identifies with their community and her upbringing, she admits she struggled with being an imposter. In reunion, her birth parents had an odd request for her that I've never heard before and that she wasn't comfortable fulfilling. Over time, she began to feel like a disappointment to them. Thankfully, in the middle of it all, Elisa was able to express her love and gratitude to her adopted father before losing him suddenly. This is Elisa's journey. Elisa was adopted by Latvian parents. Latvia is a small country on the Baltic Sea, opposite of the famously neutral country of Sweden and west of the notorious Russia. In the 1940s, Latvia fell, by force, under Soviet control, and hundreds of thousands of people fled to other countries, Elisa's parents among them. They fled in different ways, um, and she wound up in the camps in Germany um, shortly after that until it was freed, and they came over in 1950. Mm -hmm. My dad's family, on the other hand, was quite wealthy, and after he watched his um, dad's twin brother get shot down by Russians right in front of him, they, they buried all their silver, like most Latvians did, hoping that they would come back someday, mm -hmm. and ran. And they sold watches off of their bodies, did whatever they could, worked uh, jobs throughout different you know, places in Europe until um, they wound up in the camps for the last year before it was freed. Mm. My gosh, what a hard but, way to start life. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't fault them for everything. Mm -hmm. Some things I'm like, they could have done better, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't have an easy start either. So that being said, being adopted by them and being raised in a Latvian community with a fairly large Latvian community, I always kind of felt like an outsider and like a fraud because my first language was Latvian. How, you felt like a fraud in the Latvian community or in the United States speaking Latvian? Uh, that's an interesting question because it kind of it, it has multiple levels as far as that goes. Because it's strange anyway, being um, a refugee, you you never quite fit in. Um, cause, I mean, that's what's been so interesting with my my adoptive parents is I understand that some of what they feel and or what they felt in their lives. Being my dad when he died, he was the last living relative in his family because they were all pretty much killed during World War II. Um, his parents made it over here with him, but they died before I was born. So, you know, they, my dad and I definitely had a close relationship because he understood 
some of what I was going through and I understood sort of, you know, what he was going through. But um, as far as being a fraud in the community, yeah, when you're hanging out and growing up with all these kids that are all fluent in Latvian and doing all the Latvian summer camps and their families are all just, they're all happy Latvian families. And I not only was not Latvian, even though I was raised Latvian, I also had an adoptive brother who was a handful. I mean, he was um, also adopted and had alcohol, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, and um, was very violent and caused a lot of problems. So we kind of stuck out like a sore thumb for, you know, for a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like what you're saying is he was troublesome both in the household and in the community, and therefore your family stuck out partially yeah. because of his behavior. You know, we, we actually stopped going to some of the Latvian social things because of some comments that have been made about my brother and made my mom uncomfortable, so she didn't want to go anymore. So mm -hmm. we were kind of removed from it later on, you know, when I was maybe around 10. Mm -hmm. So I was already, you know, being withdrawn out of a community that I thought was mine, but even so still was somewhat of a fraud in. Just so many layers on top of layers of different levels. So at 10 years old, Elisa's family began to withdraw from the tight-knit Latvian community because of the comments and perceptions of her adopted brother's behavior. I asked Elisa about how she identified with the Latvian culture as an adoptee because there was a good chance that wasn't her actual heritage. She said she still identifies as Latvian to this day, engaging in online communities, wearing traditional jewelry, and buying the folk art. She grew up in the Lutheran Latvian church, which adds a layer of complexity to her journey because she married a Jewish man. That sort of further distanced me from the church, I think, in some ways. Yeah, um, I can imagine. I raised both my kids Jewish. So let's just see how many ways we can isolate oneself, right? <laughs> I thought about this. You know, I'm an adopted kid in Lincoln, Nebraska, adopted by two Latvian refugees who's decided to raise my kids Jewish and also be vegetarian. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. How many ways can we just make this complicated? That's I didn't right. intend to do any of this. For whatever reason, I was a little curious about how Elisa also decided to be a vegetarian. Growing up in the Midwest, she's seen the treatment of the animals and finds the slaughterhouses disgusting. She recalled a time when she was a teenager when her mother made a steak for dinner. Elisa cut into the meat, blood squirted out, and that sealed it for her vegetarianism from then on, with some occasional pescatarian meals from time to time. I also wondered how Elisa's parents made her feel comfortable in adoption, especially in light of her brother's behavior, as brought on by fetal alcohol syndrome. She said they didn't talk about adoption much at all. As a matter of fact, her brother was so challenging for her parents, he drew their attention away from Elisa, leaving her to fend for herself. She remembers a story of her brother's abuse when she was about seven years old. In uh, most ways, I raised myself because they were so consumed and busy dealing with my brother, who's three years older than me. They thought I was able to take care of myself, so I pretty much did quite often, to be honest. Hmm. And when he would physically hurt me or something, they would go after him and no one would even check to see how I was. Really? So he And was... I don't think it was really an... It wasn't an intentional, I didn't, no one was upset or being mean to me. They just were more worried about his issues than mine. <laughs> wow, that's that's fascinating. So how would he hurt you? 
Oh, like oh, one example, he uh, threw a big metal truck at my back. You know those big trunk of trucks or whatever they are, those big metal bulldozers and things you had in a sandbox? Right. They were metal and big and heavy, and, and um, he threw one at my back. And, of course, I screamed really loud, and my mom ran out to see what was happening. And <clears throat> she rips my shirt off and tells me to lay on the picnic table and runs in, and I hear her yelling at my brother. And no one ever came back out to see what I was doing. I'm laying on the picnic table going, hmm. And finally, I just got up off the picnic table, and I'm wearing nothing but shorts, you know, like, great. Anyway, mm-hmm. I went up to my room, and it was never talked about again. Were they loving parents? Were they caring parents? I think um, I think that they did their best. I think they really tried. I know my mom just wanted a big family. She wanted everything to be okay and block out the horror of living in the camps for seven years. And that's where she grew up. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, um, was very busy, photojournalist, traveling. And when he was there, he was there. He and I had a great relationship, but he didn't do a whole lot to raise me. Elisa was one of those kids who read voraciously. She zipped through two books a day sometimes, staying up after her bedtime with her flashlight and a book under her covers. She said she was probably considered a strange kid because she was trying to transcribe hieroglyphics, reading about witchcraft, and constantly searching for all kinds of information. And she thinks that early thirst for knowledge about other people's ways of living may have been her first search for her own identity. As she got older, her mind ran wild about who her birth mother could be, fearing some of the possibilities of being conceived from a violent act or other unhappy scenarios. When Elisa began her search, she had a lead on where to start accumulating information. I kind of had an edge in some ways because my godfather handled the adoption. And finally one day um, I went over there. And it was it was odd because I didn't go visit him all the time, especially not by myself. We always went over as a family to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And this one day I just said, I, I want to come over. I need to talk to you about some things. And I think he already had it all figured out what I wanted to talk about. So I asked him some questions. He was, you know, he was an attorney. He's deceased now, so I'm not too worried about <laughs> disabling him in any way. He didn't tell me anything because he just can't as a lawyer. He just can't really say anything. But he did say, you know, um, I have to think about this. I'm going to, I need to run, you know, to the kitchen real quick. I'll be back. And I was like, that's odd. Okay, that's really odd. So he got up to do what he needed to do. And I got up and I saw all my paperwork sitting on his desk. Wow. Really? And I saw some names. Nothing I could really figure out other than um, I figured out the maiden name which is a really odd name. Odd so was, You know, it's very odd. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm used to different ethnic names. You know, this one to me seemed really odd. It was just spelled weird. And it was one syllable. And so it stuck with me. But I was like, wow, is that them? Could that be them? Is that my mom? Elisa's godfather cleverly realized he couldn't disclose any information about her adoption to her. But if she happened to see some important papers sitting out on his desk, she might learn something. When her godfather returned to his home office, he and Elisa talked a little more, then she left. Her curiosity fully sparked. She started researching that unique one-syllable last name, and she found some contact information. And I found a phone number, and a friend of mine who took it upon herself decided to try um, one of the numbers I had isolated it down to in Omaha. 
and called them. And I was so livid. I did not want her to call them at all. I was not ready. It's not what I wanted. She called them and tried to act like she was a high school classmate of my birth mom and wanted to know where she was. Whoa. They gave her the number. Wow. She took it upon herself to call someone that you identified as a possible. This would have been my, um, without my knowledge, this is the home of my biological grandfather, who was her dad, who was responsible for making sure I was given up and never talked about again. So Elisa's friend, going rogue on the outreach plans, actually led her straight to the person responsible for her adoption. As is sometimes the case with adoptees' searches, Elisa struggled with being prepared for things to move so quickly and what this new development might do to her connection to her adopted family. She was super nervous to make the call. Elisa worried that she would throw up or pass out before this huge call to this woman she wasn't even positive was her birth mother. It took Elisa a long time to dial the phone number to her birth mother's home. So, and it left me feeling really freaked out because I had a strong sense of guilt and loyalty to my uh, family that adopted me. And also, um, not sure what to do with that information. What was I going to find out? I sat on it for maybe a few months. And then I finally um, called them up. And they were very excited. It turned out being both my, my biological parents married together. They married each other. They married each other. Wow. And um, turned out they were 16 when they had me. I think she was 15 when she got pregnant with me. Had to go through the whole... I was thinking it's one of the, you know, the last generation where women were sent away. So mm-hmm. she actually got sent to a home, and my birth dad would go visit her every day, and they would play cards and all this, trying to figure out what to do. And her dad wanted... Has nothing to do with any of it. Wanted me gone, erased, and his dad um, really wanted to keep me, but they had no rights because you, you know, my birth dad was a minor. So, wow, that's really complex. One of those horrible situations, and then it gets even stranger because it turns out I have three full siblings that they had after. Really. Long time after. Yeah, there's a 13-year gap between me and the next kids they had. Wow. So pause for a second and just and go back. So how did you discover that they were married to each other? You've, you, you paused at the – you skipped over a part. So you sat on the phone number for quite a while, a couple of months. Yeah. And then what happened? I didn't know until I called them. It was really overwhelming, frankly, because they really, really wanted me to be a part of their family at that time. And mm-hmm. um, they wanted me to leave school. They wanted me, they lived in South Dakota at this time, in Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to leave college and move in with them. And, you know, their kids were young. They had no concept I was a grown person. Mm-hmm. And I was in college. I was working 30 hours a week, putting myself through school. I'm not going to quit everything to go suddenly move in with a family I don't know. Right. It just the whole thing seemed really weird to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little strange. And I hadn't even met them yet at that point. Elisa said her birth parents spilled all the beans in that first phone call. In the following months, the couple sat down with their younger children, who are 13 years Elisa's junior, to explain they had an older sibling. In 1991, 
Elisa was doing environmental work out west, and she was driving back to Nebraska with a friend. On a phone call with her parents before the trip, her birth parents told her that they would be at an RV park that was along her return route home. I had a, this is beautiful, I had a Volkswagen bus at the time, mm-hmm. and it was with an old hippie friend of mine who was a good 30 years older than me, had gray hair down to his butt, and um, I pulled up to meet them. They were in an RV camp in the Black Hills, and when they met, met me, they were like, oh my God, you're not dating him, are you? I was like, no, no. (laughs) My God. And they thought I was from, you know, Mars, because they were complete, typical, Midwestern, white. I was not what they were expecting, I don't think. Wow. You know, I'm a little more on the liberal spectrum, and, Mm -hmm. you know, doing things for the environment and everything is a little out there for them, I think. And not to mention I didn't eat meat. I didn't even tell them that I didn't eat meat. They handed me a hamburger. I ate it and I threw it up behind their RV and went back and acted like nothing had happened. Are you serious? Because I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. I was so nervous. Imagine, Elisa is a vegetarian, is crazy nervous about meeting her birth parents, and they handed her a fistful of red meat. No wonder it didn't stay down. It all made for an awkward first meeting. Elisa made it clear that she had no plans to move in with her birth family, but she still tried to link up with her birth parents when she could. She said they would visit her in Lincoln, Nebraska, and she got to spend some time with her paternal grandparents, whom she grew very fond of. Elisa's paternal grandfather never wanted her to be placed for adoption, and he told her of a story of meeting her again another day. His um, his dad, my grandpa, is still alive at this point, and he never wanted me to be gone. In fact, this is a crazy story. He told me at one point he ran into me and my mom at the mall when I was a little girl, and he has a memory like a steel trap. He was positive that was me because he remembered because he sat there in the hospital waiting to see who picked me up when I was being adopted, and I was premature. I weighed like four pounds, um maybe four pounds, three ounces. So I had to stay there for a little while. So he was there every day just watching. So he saw my mom take me. And my mom actually confirmed this because she remembers that day. And we only talked about it once. She was so freaked out. And I remember it vaguely that we didn't go back to the mall for a long time. (laughs) Wow. Because he tried to talk to her and she took off with me. And that was that. That, sort of broke his heart a little bit. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. So he recognized your mom, who had picked you up on the day you were adopted, and he tried yeah. to introduce and himself. and I looked like all the other kids. You know, at that point, I had dark skin with super blonde, straight hair, and just looked like how the rest of them all looked at that point when they were little. You know, many times, adoptees don't want much from their birth parents. In some cases, it's just a desire for the most basic connection. We want to know about our birth parents' lives, and we hope they're curious about how we've been during the decades since they last saw us. But that wasn't the case for Elisa's birth parents. The strangest thing about my birth parents is that um, they wanted me to move in and everything, but they didn't want to know anything about me. They didn't want to know anything about my adoptive family. They didn't want to know really anything. They just wanted me to be a part of the family and and not say or do anything. 
That is kind of strange. Why do you think that was? I don't know if maybe it was guilt on their part um, and not wanting to acknowledge. And I think maybe there's just some denial. You know, some people just aren't able to express themselves very well. And some of the people in the family have trouble really talking about genuine feelings and keep things on the surface. Yeah. It's sort of a trait among some of them. And I think... um, my birth mom was very much that way. I never had a real conversation with her before she died. Um, I mean, it was ridiculous. I would call her up and she would say, oh, yes, I'm having ladies over. We're going to have a hair, you know, leg shaving party. And what was I supposed to say to that? That's really superficial, uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I just never really got to know her. Oh, it was a real disappointment. It sounded like the paternal grandparents' connection was fulfilling for Elisa. But keep in mind, it was her maternal grandfather who orchestrated her adoption. I asked how things went with her maternal grandparent connection. Well, this is fun. So the, the one time that I met my um, maternal grandfather who wanted me erased from history mm-hmm. was at um, my paternal grandparents' anniversary. I showed up for the anniversary party. I was still in college. I was dating a Pakistani guy at the time. So I showed up at the reunion with the only dark-skinned person in the room. Like, seriously, people grow up. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They all looked at me. And when my maternal grandfather recognized who I was, he stormed out of there. That was it. The only time I ever saw him. He looked me in the eye once looked very angry, and that was it. Really? Did he know you were coming? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the whole backstory on that. They might not have told him. I also, at one point, years later, when I got to know my siblings after they were grown-ups, because we had a good 10-year break when we weren't speaking, so I went to a reunion that my maternal grandmother had invited me to, even though I'd only met her a few times. It was just a family reunion at a park, picnic thing. I showed up at this thing. I didn't realize no one knew about me because I'd already been floating around in their psyche for the last, what, 15 years or something at this point. And I showed up and they asked who I was and I told them. And even my uncle, um, who I've been trying to make make contact with, who keeps saying he'll call me back and never does, um, it's my bio mom's brother. He told me he thought when his sister left um, that she was going down to Texas to take care of someone who had had a baby. And he had also heard a story that maybe they had sent her to um, Bible camp. <laughs> oh, so she they had been all fed false narratives that were never corrected after your birth. Yeah, I think one sister knew, I think, and it was a sister who also had given someone up. So there's someone else floating out there. I don't know if we've ever found her. In the years since her initial reunion, Elisa has met many biological relatives online through DNA testing. She said that an entire generation of biological cousins have identified themselves, and at least 10 of them were also placed for adoption. And I thought most of it was from my my one, my paternal grandpa had 17 other siblings. So a lot of them are from that, but then there's also... um, a couple that are coming up through the maternal side, too, as well. And we've been piecing all of that together. I actually speak to three of them on a regular basis, just like family now. And I've joked with all of them, you know, at this point, we could start our own family. we got enough adoptees. <laughs> We're actually all related. 
<laughs> wow. That is really crazy. But you're right. It does sort of put you in a bit of a kinship with each other, that you are all adoptees, but in the same family. Fascinating. Elisa was in reunion for about eight years when she decided she needed a break from her biological family. She had a three-year-old daughter. Her husband was a traveling musician, and she had to keep up with the band. And there was pressure to travel to see family members all over the country. Part of it, too, I wonder if I just was still trying to figure out who I was. It was all just too much. And I felt like that family, um, my biological family, wanted so much from me that I couldn't give them. And I had nothing in common with them. And I felt like I did nothing but let them down. So I finally, I wasn't getting along very well with my birth father at this point anyway. Or my birth mother never talked to me. I never even was in a room alone with her. Who knows? I mean, I don't really understand what happened with them. And what, or what they talked about behind closed doors. <laughs> oh, why weren't you getting along with your, your birth father? I, I disappointed him. He wanted me to move in with him, I think. Did that request, turned out I didn't really have a whole lot in common with him. Did that request persist for the 10 years that y'all were in contact? Not really. They sort of gave up because I, you know, I, I wound up running off to Los Angeles and getting married and having my first kid. They did come to my wedding. I flew back to Lincoln to get married here in Lincoln, and they did show up. I didn't know what to say or do. The whole thing felt so awkward because we were having it at the Latvian um, church with also the Jewish stuff taking place in the middle of it all, and it just felt really overwhelming to add a third culture. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really family. heavy. You've got a wedding, which is stressful unto itself. In Latvian church, you're pregnant, (laughs) and you're marrying a Jewish guy, and and you're bringing your South Dakota biological Caucasian family into that mix. Man. No. (laughs) You are one for layering complexity onto situations, aren't you? (laughs) And I don't try to do any of this. Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm kidding with you, but wow. It happens. I know. That's really unbelievable. It just happens. That must have been so awkward. Yeah, it was, and I felt terrible because um, they were there. I, I see them in the pictures. I have pictures of them at, at my wedding. I didn't talk to them a whole lot. They didn't fit in. You know, you know, they just didn't look like the rest of us. Yeah. They just didn't fit in. They looked like they stuck out like a sore thumb. They didn't look like me, which is funny because... We have genetic traits that look similar, but their their sense of style, their demeanor, everything, nothing fit who I was or who the community I had surrounded myself was. This is really awkward, and I also felt a tremendous amount of guilt. I didn't want to ruin my wedding day for my mom or my dad or make anyone in my my you know husband's family uncomfortable. Right. And. I, and my mom was very, very mad at me for a long time for looking at all. And when I found them, she was just mortified that I would turn it into something bigger, like all those shows you see on Oprah where everyone's so happy they're reuniting. And I was going to do that to her. And it turned out I didn't do that to her. Mm-hmm. But I just felt a huge amount of guilt. Over time, Elisa divorced from her husband and raised their two children by herself. When Elisa finally broke from her birth family in 2002... She didn't know whom best to communicate her wishes to. She and her mother never had substantive conversations, and she and her father weren't getting along anymore anyway. 
I sent a letter to my birth grandpa because I didn't know who else to write it to. I just said, I can't do this anymore. I feel too much pressure. I don't know how to keep all these different balls rolling. And I, I don't want to lose you guys, but I don't know how to not have contact with my birth dad without losing all of you. It was just awful because I knew I was crushing them. I knew it was hurtful to them. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what else to do. So I'm, I, I caused the first break. Did he respond? He called me and I talked to him and we both cried. And then he respected, respected my wishes. And I thought about him and I missed him all through the years. But I still just didn't know what to do and I let it go. The last time Elisa spoke with her birth father was in 2002 the morning of her birth mother's funeral. Oh my God, the last time I spoke to him, you can think I'm a terrible person, but it's a long, complex deal. As I spoke to him that morning at the funeral, he called me. And I didn't know what to say. I just didn't know what to say. And I already knew I was nothing but a source of disappointment for him. And that's when I wrote the letter, because I just couldn't do it anymore. And the person I'd wanted to make a connection with was was my birth mom. Mm. And... She was gone. Yeah. So that was never going to happen. I didn't know, you know, it just, I don't know. Let me ask you, anyway. you you've said more than once that you felt uh-huh. you were a disappointment to him. In what way? First off, I didn't move in with them. Second of all, like, I didn't quite, you know, get where they were all coming from culturally. With Their whole culture is so different from mine. We didn't match. We didn't mesh at all. They didn't understand the culture that I had grown up in. Something about me is just, I don't know exactly what it is. It's, I haven't quite figured out, you know, um, you go through your whole life, you maybe figure out half the things at some point. I think there's some things you just never figure out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think that's right. And I don't know why I have the feelings I do. But I, I felt I felt guilt, I think, because I couldn't, maybe because I couldn't get along with her, my birth mom, mm-hmm. and we just had nothing in common. Maybe I felt guilt because I had nothing in common with him, and he wanted so badly to have a relationship with me that he kind of got angry and distant with me, and he told me at one point that he saw me as nothing more than a distant relative. Wow. How did you take that? And that it really, really hurt really, really hurt. Two years before her birth mother passed away, her adopted father died suddenly. Luckily, she shared her warm, heartfelt sentiments about his place in her life. I told him before he died, and I didn't know he was going to die, that you are the only dad I've ever had. You're my dad. And I loved him. And I really am glad I said that because he died of a sudden heart attack about a month later. Mm. So I was really, really fortunate that I was able to say that to him. Yeah. And it did make me rethink, you know, the importance of letting people know how much you care about them. Cause you never know when will be your last chance. When I asked Elisa about her adopted parents as it related to her search, she said they weren't part of it at all. They didn't talk about it much, but her father was somewhat supportive. My mom was very angry with me up until recently, I think. She, she was very, very hurt by it. She has maybe, maybe a little more insecurities and had always dreamed of having a big family and, you know, it didn't quite work out the way she wanted because she wound up getting divorced and adopting two kids, one of them who was a handful. So her life didn't quite turn out how she had hoped. 
Interesting. So your your adopted mom, she adopted you and yeah. your brother with your father when they were married, and then she got a divorce. And then after that, that was- she's left to deal with your brother, try to raise you, and yeah. you have now in the future gone and sought what she believes is another mother. A, a huge store and just horrible. Like, yeah, she thought I would just abandon her and leave her. Mm, mm, mm. I think she's also seen I never did that, and I'm still here, and she has Parkinson's now, and I try to help her however way I can, you know. Elisa's mother is ailing, has Parkinson's disease, and is still dealing with her brother today. As we talked, I reflected on all that Elisa has been through, so I asked if she would do it all again. I don't know. I, I still think I'd rather live in the truth and know exactly what the truth is rather than not have thought, but at the same time, the pain involved with it is horrible. Yeah. Um, it's like ripping your wounds off over and over again in some ways. Going back to her last break from her paternal family, Elisa told me a little bit of the background leading up to the end. Before their relationships ended, Alisa felt like she had a pretty good relationship with her siblings. Their kids had visited her, and she had taken her youngest daughter to visit them. They've taken trips to Mexico together, and Alisa had been to Arizona to stay with her birth father and his new wife. She thinks that things unraveled after what she believes is a difference of opinions expressed online. On Facebook, Alisa shared her views about the issue of minimum wages. Then, her biological sister chimed in with an opposing opinion. Elisa's friends attacked her biological sister's commentary. Then her brother jumped onto Elisa's wall, too, in defense of his sister. Next thing you know, her sister had blocked Elisa on Facebook. Her youngest sister, who wasn't part of the online debate, also blocked her online. And her biological brother unfriended her, which surprised her. After 26 years of reunion, they ended the relationships. She's disappointed that no one even wanted to speak with her about the issues, but... Elisa suspects there was more to their break than she initially realized. She's hopeful that one day someone will tell her the whole truth. It's sad that families, no matter what their structure is, end up divided over social, geopolitical, and economic issues. Reflecting, Elisa realizes that her siblings aren't necessarily people she would have normally hung out with because they're so different from her. She only got to know them because they're biologically related. We talked about the challenges of an adoptee's return from the sibling's point of view. There's a pressure that you feel, and there's a pressure that they feel to accept you, welcome you in, try to get to know you and stuff too. And I I wonder if we sometimes Mm -hmm. underestimate. We feel the pressure because we feel like we've been gone and we want to come back, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I don't know how many folks actually think about the pressure that it puts on siblings when an adoptee returns and that's worth yeah you know i wonder sometimes if my um the sister who made me break with that with the rest of us hated the fact that she was no longer the oldest ah yeah we had once again very different lives maybe she doesn't even know the difference i don't really know and here i feel bad i'm making a judgment but i've been trying to think what the heck you know i always kind of tried to offer advice and listen and try to understand that she's coming from what she knows and her perspective. And it was really strange too, because I would talk to my birth, youngest birth sister pretty regularly on the phone. 
and she would always tell me that she loved me. Hmm. And it always sounded so superficial. Oh, I really? Love you. Oh, interesting. And of course, it took nothing to never talk to me again. Yeah. Well, maybe your gut feeling and, about it being superficial was right. Wow, Lisa. Well, I'm sorry for how things have turned out, especially because they soured, you know, electronically over opinions online. That's just, that seems yeah, I never even got to ridiculous. say goodbye to any of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but, you know, it sounds like there were some good things that happened along the way. The fact that you got to tell your father that you love him before, you know, he passed is really amazing. And mm-hmm. the fact that you got to hear the story that your maternal grandfather saw you when you were a kid yeah, um, and wanted to try to get to know you in that moment. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, and those are things that you, yeah, those are things that you never could have learned had you not gone on on this journey, despite how it has turned out. So the questions have been answered. I still don't know everything. And I also have realized over time that everyone's perception is different, so it's important to remember that what you see and think and feel is what you see, think and feel, and not what someone else might see, think and feel in the same situation. Yeah. Like your birth parent is feeling something totally different, and if you're not able to communicate, it's not ever going to come to fruition and be understood in any way whatsoever. Well, thank you so much, Elisa, for calling. I appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the, the chance. It will give me some more time to reflect on everything I'm dealing with, too, at the same time. All right. Well, Lisa, <laughs> I wish you all so the best. Anyway, thank you very much for sharing your thank story. Thank you. You, too. You take care. You do the same. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Alisa said that it was really strange for her that her birth mother would never be alone with her and never allowed more than a superficial connection between them. She said she could tell that even when they talked on the phone, her birth mother wasn't alone in the room during their conversations. I asked Alisa how she's doing now, managing everything that she's been through. She said this last year has been really tough, with almost daily ups and downs. She's reviewing her life, fighting depression, and exploring the ways she can get into healthy interpersonal relationships. Elisa is making it day by day. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Elisa's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also choose to share your whole story, maintain some privacy about parts of your story, or share completely anonymously. You can find the show at facebook.com slash whaireally, or find me on Twitter at whaireally. And please, if you like the show, you can subscribe to the Who Am I Really podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Tune in radio or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others find the podcast too. <laughs>